We find ourselves in the series uh, Community, which is themed off of the Friends sitcom from the um, 90s era. And it was a a really popular cultural phenomenon, and so many people identified with uh, the different characters of that. And we chose to do this series Community for a couple reasons. One is that liturgically, churches uh, tend to celebrate and reflect on what it means to be church in the season after Easter that leads up to Pentecost Sunday, which was right before our scripture reading this morning. We also thought it was an opportunity for us to really uh, take stock of the way in which we engage in friendship in this time period when friendship looks differently than it has before. I mean, I know I certainly hadn't been uh, Zoom calling my friend groups, but during this time where we would think that we should be more isolated and we should be uh, more secluded from one another, I think some people have been finding that there's ways in which we can be community in new life-giving ways. I know that, uh, for example, a few weeks ago I mentioned that uh, my small group from college, uh, some of my dearest friends that I have, life happens and we get busy and we always talk about doing a reunion or getting together together, but um, we never make it happen. But during this season, we've met now twice on Zoom and we go from everywhere from a One of my friends is a Presbyterian pastor in Kentucky, another one's in Colorado, another one's in Washington, and someone else is in California. We're all over the country, and we're able to do that small group together to reunite friendship, to spend some time together, even amidst all the chaos that we're finding ourselves in. And so I want us to prayerfully consider how might we be friends Uh, better, I don't know, during this time? Or when we are able to come back and be with other people, what might we be doing differently that allows us to go deeper in our friendship with one another and our fellowship as Christians? Um, We began the series by talking about doubting Thomas and talking about how uh, Jesus creates a space for Thomas to be himself, to be Thomas. Um, And and this is uh, what Jesus does over and over again throughout the Bible. I mean, he finds a way for someone who is feeling lonely or isolated or broken or irreconcilable to come back into relationship. Uh, That's a word I used at the beginning of the sermon, reconcile, to make things right. And it's often in relationship to, or often in context to relationships, to make a relationship right that was wrong. One of the other themes of Jesus during his ministry was that Jesus found himself, well, breaking bread or eating. Uh, Luke is the writer of both Luke and of Acts, and this morning's scripture reading is from Acts. And we find ourselves uh, this morning reading about the church, but we start by thinking about the bread, about how do we eat together. Because this community that gathered together is, was really uh, chaotic and really exciting and was really big. You know, like Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came and people were speaking in all sorts of different languages and other people were understanding. And then it talks about how they grew in numbers day by day. But the point of all that, I don't believe, is the fantastic signs and wonders. I think the point of it is to guide us to the table. And, and Jesus does this over and over again in his ministry. The, one of the primary purposes of his ministry was to eat with the sinners, the tax collectors, to find his place at the table with the people that, according to all the sort of social boundaries that were of the time, he ought not to sit down with and be in relationship with. 
food has that ability, doesn't it? Eating together at a table. It, it sort of breaks the barriers of social distancing, but also of social barriers that you're not supposed to cross when you eat together with someone. Uh, I personally think that your closest friends that you have, probably very few of them can you think of, if any, that doesn't involve a meal with them or some sense of regular meals with them. I know that we have this habit to, you know, pull out our phones and to be on those or to be distracted when we sit down. But when you truly sit down at the table with someone, you're forced, in a way, to engage with that person. Your option in that moment is to focus on the person across from the table from you, to talk, to get to know them to have a meaningful conversation. There's plenty of other ways that we can do this, but I know that if I'm on the phone and I'm often doing something else because I try to be productive with my time and I might, my friend or whoever I'm talking to might be doing something else, but I can get distracted so easily. I can also get distracted when I'm on a run or on a hike or doing something else to engage in that sort of friendship or playing sports or other things, but there's something about that mealtime when you sit down and you share together that moment. It's not really about the food, although I think it is definitely about the food because I'm a foodie, but it's about the shared table that you have where you can look someone in the eyes, where you can commune with them, where you can really get to know them on a deeper level. And we've been challenged during this time because our tables, our restaurants, and other places where we gather around tables have been closed, and we're not able to do this as often as we'd like. But we're able to do it with our families, some of us. And I would argue that being forced to sit in front of my computer where everyone can watch if I get up and move is different than if I take a phone call and do this, that, and the other. That sitting there with that person allows for this time together. See, uh, there's two Greek words that find themselves in the scripture that uh, drew my attention this week. Uh, One was the word uh, koinoi, which is is common, that they share everything in common, it's said. And I could go on an entire sermon series and perhaps an appropriate one about how the early Christians uh, shared and pooled resources together and understood themselves as a, a community of people and not just a a community of individuals, that they saw their mission together. But what I found was particularly interesting was how the word common was associated especially with the table. That the common table leads them into this phrase, fellowship, or koinonia. It's where friends become more than friends, but they become brothers and sisters in Christ. The early Christian church, uh, after this Acts time, would separate their worship service into uh, two opportunities, two times. The the pre-baptized, or the non-baptized, could come to the earlier part of the service, and then the baptized could come to the later part of the service. And that wasn't a way to, like, relegate, you know, who's good or who is bad, but really it was who could they trust together. 
because the early Christian church was persecuted, and so far as if someone had a, a, some sort of something against someone, they could easily call them out as a Christian, and that person would be forced to go out into the public and throw spices on a fire and say that Caesar was divine. And so at any moment, if you let someone into your inner circle that you didn't trust or that, you know, had something against you, they could literally threaten your life. And so they separated uh, the worship service into the time when we would perhaps gather and would worship or maybe get some teaching. But then the later time would be set aside for communion and for passing the peace of Christ. Just fun tidbit of facts. Two of the reasons why is because the common conception of early Christians, two of the common conceptions was one that they were cannibalists, which doesn't sound appropriate, and the other that they were incestual. And both come around the practice of eating Holy Communion together. Because from the outside world, they would eat the body of Christ, which sounds like cannibalism, and then from the outside world, they would kiss their brothers and sisters in Christ with the peace of Christ when they passed the peace. And so, incestual. So they broke out that portion of their worship and secluded it for the people that they could trust around the table. Think about the people I trust in my life that have gathered around the table with them. The interesting thing about it is that there's nothing really spectacular about it. In fact, there's nothing really spectacular about this bread that we're going to partake of, and perhaps if you have wafers or something at home, um, there's nothing special. It's ordinary bread, although this happens to be a good piece of ordinary bread. Nothing makes it holy. It wasn't crafted in uh, Jerusalem or from the finest wheat that was available. It is bread. What makes it holy is the fact that God takes ordinary things and turns them into extraordinary things. See, The story of Acts begins extraordinarily. And so we like to think that we have to have the finest ingredients, the best things possible, that the Holy Spirit has to show up and just make us exuberant and on fire for God, and then amazing things are going to happen. But for the writer of Luke and Acts, it was more about taking the ordinary and allowing the ordinary to become extraordinary. Because the whole scope of Acts is about that community, koinonia, where friends become brothers and sisters. Friendship goes deeper, and the practices that they had were just fourfold, right? Fellowship, studying the teachings, eating together, and praying together. Basic Christian practices everyday things that all of us can do. But they're turned into something that allowed them to do the most amazing piece of all, which was to be in authentic community together. Meals, breaking bread, is an ordinary everyday practice, hopefully everyday practice, that you have. Gathering together with people or eating by yourself or wherever you do, providing nutrients. But that ordinary activity can become a vehicle for the extraordinary to happen. 
And I, and I think about some of my friends that I had, and, or that I have, and the extraordinary ways that God has shown up in them. That my life has been changed, my life has been moved, my life has been transformed through their friendships. And I can't think of many of them that began with some sort of ecstatic, amazing moment. In fact, they happened by teachers randomly assigning us into the same classroom or stumbling on the same bus going from one side of the campus to the other side of the campus. Or perhaps we found ourselves working together, eating over lunchtime. Ordinary ways that you've connected and continuing those patterns of time around a table with them or whatever quality time looks like transformed those set of ordinary times with people into something extraordinary. And I personally believe that um, the primary focus of our faith is to commune with God and to commune with others. And I think Jesus does that when he invites people to the table that aren't supposed to be there, that everyone is welcome at the table. And there's some parameters with that. To be at a table, you have to be at a table. To be at a table, you also have to have a mutual sort of equal relationship. It's not fun to be at a table when one person does all of the talking and leaves no room for anyone else to be there. Being at the table also is an ordinary practice, a regular thing we do that transforms us to become extraordinary. See, because that's the power of the church, right? Power of holy communion. Ordinary bread is transformed into the presence of Jesus Christ so that our ordinary practice of eating transforms us, ordinary, broken people, into the presence of Christ in the world. Together, through regular practices, we become something more. I wonder what it looks like for you to invest in the ordinary during this time. To invest in a friend to break bread together. You know, I had a friend that was going through uh, something particularly hard the other week, and she shared with me about how one of her best friends decided to eat with her. Said, I want to eat dinner with you. And so they both got in front of their FaceTime, and they ordered their takeout, and they ate. And it provided a sense of comfort and solace amidst the loneliness that she had felt in that moment. I know I've felt that when I've gathered together with people on Zoom calls, seeing those faces and spending some time again enlivens something new in me, reminds me of the power of friendship. I know there's power at the house that we have, 
of sitting down at the table and eating together. When everything else in the life of my family is up in arms because, you know, well, we're at home and there's no schools and there's no regular rhythm, dinner time becomes one of those times when we try, at least, to instill some sense of normalcy. We still cook. We still eat. We still spend time around the table. How might you do ordinary things, spending quality time with someone, and allow that quality time to transform you and them into the presence of Christ in the world?